Do you know much about Be quiet you, it's Russell's time to shine. Don't know much about mitochondria? Well you're in luck, grab some popcorn and park your butt sucker. This is gonna get sciency. Yes sciency is a word. Welcome to another episode of the Waffling Tailors Podcast, Woo! or indeed as we have rebranded, ah, a podcast by the Waffling Tailors, because it's in very, thanks, <laughs> do you, do you store them up before we uh, hit record, is that what in, you do? Industry secrets, I can't tell you. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, yeah, so we've recently rebranded to ah, a podcast by the Waffling Tailors simply because um, I tend to go ah, a lot, so <laughs> there you go. Um, but yes, so today is another Waffling Tailors go to the, goes to the movies. So if you head over to the website, there will be a link in your in your uh, podcatcher uh, to um, all of the episodes that we've done on goes to the movies. There's quite a few. Hmm. Uh, these are not specifically just movies we want to talk about. These are video game related movies. Now, in the past, what we've done is movies that were based on video games. Um, before we get around to saying hello to Squidge, what I'm going to say is this is a movie which is based on a book and the video game was also based on the book, right? So it's going to be a bit confusing. It's the most challenging one we've ever done, I think, um, so far. I think we've got another challenging one in the backlog that I'm not going to say what it is, um, but that will be a challenging one uh, because it's a video game that's based on a movie that then became another video game. Um, for those of you who have the uh, the video game history hats on, you've already figured it out, so well done you. Uh, but joining us, as always, it's Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. How are you, Squidgy? I'm not too bad. My, my feet are still attached. I'll call that a plus. Oh, yes, I like it, with the feet attached. Excellent. Um, so I suppose we should stop beating around the bush and actually talk about the movie that we're going to talk about today. Mm. Um, do you want to tell the folks which movie it is? With the movie based on the book and the game that's based on the second part of the movie, but with more action-packed, it's Parasite Eve. So mm. it's it's a, it's a reverse movie, a games movie review, because we're reviewing the movie and then the game came afterwards. So it's That's a reverse a game movie review. To make reverse, it backwards? even more reverse, I watched the movie backwards. Of course you did. And it made more sense than watching it forwards. You know what, I, <laughs> I can attest to that. That's absolutely true. So one thing to know going in, right, before we even talk about the movie, right, so the lineage of the movie, the book, and the game is um, 1991 Hideaki Sena who is, that's the pen name of uh, a, a, a microbiologist. I've forgotten the name of the guy, but that's his pen name. Um, and he wrote a book called Parasite Eve, which is all about what if the mitochondria in our DNA, not in our DNA, in our cells, were self became self-aware and started controlling people, which is a really cool sort of uh, science fiction-y idea. Um that was published. It won't work um, nowadays because it'd be the mitochondria take control and become an Instagram influencer. 
That's a modern day equivalent. <laughs> it's the indeed. same thing. Or indeed, the mitochondria become self-aware and end up in a tornado with some sharks, right? That's uh, mitochondria sharknado. I mean, that's step two after the influence. Absolutely. You know. um, so, yeah, the movie got released in 1991. Um, and it was, it, uh, interestingly enough, it was uh, published by the same company that published the uh, Ring series of books. We'll come on to that later on when we come on to the movie. So, book comes out. Does really well. Like um, Hideaki Seno won awards, became really famous, made a bucket load of money. Mm-hmm. The um, the the publishing company decided to approach Fuji TV to make a make it. I wrote down in my notes whilst I'm watching this. This is very clearly a made for TV movie, mm-hmm. but actually it was released in the theaters for a week. So, eh, but kind, kind of like the uh, the third Starship Troopers film. It was, it was clearly made for TV. It's got that, just that feel. Oh, to absolutely. It. Absolutely. I mean, that's not meant to, uh, det- we'll get onto it later, but that's not meant to detract from the quality of the film. The film is still a film. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a carrot, is it? there. Yeah, well, what this, I mean. This film is currently saying, a carrot. We're going to shave it for an hour and a half and tell you about it. What I'm saying is, <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying it's a good film or a bad film. I'm just saying it is indeed a film. Um, that last comment it, was welcome to Squidge's mind and how he deals with films. Just imagine shaving a carrot. Absolutely. With a potato peeler, not an actual a big shaver, a potato peeler. <laughs> so, 1997. <laughs> um, in January 1997, the production company got together with a bunch of actors and actresses and made the film. The film was made in eight weeks. With a Surprising. cost of yeah yeah, with a cost of five hundred and fifty million yen, which at the time was around nine hundred thousand dollars. Which is surprising. Yeah, tiny for a movie. Um, even even compared to movies that were being released at that time, that is a tiny budget and a tiny t- turnaround time. Right, you got eight weeks, go mm-hmm. film it, and you're done. Right. So film comes out, does relatively well in the in the theaters for a week, and then goes out of print. Mm-hmm. But it starts making money on VHS and then eventually on DVD in Japan. Eventually, it gets shown outside of Japan as sort of a, at the t- you know at the time you've got um you've got uh so Parasite Eve comes out as a film, then r- the original Japanese version of Ring comes out as a film in two thousand uh, nineteen ninety eight, mm-hmm. then Ring two ninety nine um and then Ring Zero two thousand and two. So you've got this. This uh, hurricane, I guess, of Japanese horror being exported out to the West, and Parasite even Ring were one of the f- were, were the first two movies to do that. Followed but by like I'm guessing Jew on the Grudge and Dark Water, that kind of thing. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, and so um, you can see that progression, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's so starting, that- and yeah. So, so that's where we're, well, that's where we are with, uh, with, with that. And then I believe, uh, 99, 2000, 2001 Squidge. Do you know, do you have the dates for when Parasite Eve came out on PlayStation? PlayStation, it was 98 was Parasite Eve 1, 99 was Parasite Eve 2, and third birthday was 2010, which was the PSP version, the chronological successor, but not called Parasite Eve due to reasons. You're absolutely right. You know, Squidge, I looked it up whilst we were talking just then. Parasite Eve came out on the PlayStation in 1998. So less than a year, because obviously this came out in uh, February 97, less than a year after the film comes out, this game comes out. Now, the interesting lineage for the, for the, for the book 
movie game um, is that the movie and the game are actually they're only related because they are related to the books right mm. uh, or rather the but the book um, the first book comes out oh, i keep saying first book there's only one book right book comes out does really well um fuji tv and kadokawa so kadokawa is the publishing company yeah they get together and make the film um meanwhile in the background kadokawa have already uh reached out to square and said can you make a video game hang on hang on just real quick just just for just for the 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 people among us who remember it as squaresoft could you refer to it as squaresoft okay nice so bit of nostalgia <laughs> absolutely we need a nostalgia sound effect right there squidge see if you can find one um that's it. Uh, so, yeah. So, Kadokawa reached out to Squaresoft, who were still called Squaresoft at the time. Um, and they say, can you make a video game? So, Squaresoft are like, hey, we're really good at making RPGs. So, why don't we make an RPG game? Um, and the, the difference between the movie and the game is that the movie is meant to be a movie version of the book. And the game, as Squidge mentioned earlier on, it, it continues from about halfway through the book. So yeah. you get halfway through the book and you can, you've got this branching narrative you can take. You can continue to read the book or you can go grab your PlayStation, shove Parasite Eve in and play through two discs of, um, of RPG wonderfulness. I mean, essentially what happens is the second half of the film is set primarily in a science lab and a hospital more so the hospital. The game, what it does is it takes like the beginning of the second half of the film adds a, a, fan, a more of a fantastical story. So you've got Aya Brea. I only found out how to pronounce her name the other day. You you get her, she's on an um, investigation and obviously you've got action, adventure, all the rest of it because you can't just have the same thing as the film or it'd be boring mm-hmm. as hell. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's set in New York instead of Japan. I don't quite know where in Japan it is. You have different sprawling environments like Natural History Museum, which has a chocobo on the front because Squaresoft. You have Central Park. You have a few other places and you even have the Chrysler Building, but that's a 77-floor randomly generated dungeon on New Game Plus only to get the proper ending. Spoilers. Because um, <laughs> the, the, the ending you get isn't really the proper ending. Yeah. Not the canon one. The the the, the new game plus sets well, up for the second game. The the canon for the game's ending. <laughs> yeah, it's the thing, right? There's yeah. there's technically three separate universes that happen in this in this. Um, I won't call it a media empire because I'm not sure whether it uh, fits with the word empire. Because obviously people will think, oh well, that's Marvel and and DC and all these kind of things. But it within the the universe of the continuum of the book, the movie, and the games. There's three separate paths that you can take with three separate endings. And we'll come on to that in a moment. But uh, just to pick up what some, something that Squidge said there, he said that the game continues on halfway through the, the movie. And it, uh, I mean, maybe it does, but for me, it's definitely the book. So um, the difference between Squidge and I coming into this is that I've, I have read the book. Uh, it's an English translation, but I have read the book and I've seen the movie. And I remember playing a little bit of the first game, but I never completed it. Whereas as far as I'm aware, uh, Squidge has seen the movie and played the games. So. so I've seen the movie, I've played the games. I haven't read the book, but a friend of mine described it to me as the Parasite Eve book is how to do a liver transplant. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting tidbit about the first game. It was never released in uh, the PAL regions because of what happens at the very first part of the game. It was seemingly to be too much body horror, too much... Uh, well, it was, it was too shocking for the um, PAL regions. It was only released in um, America, 
Japan and other countries. It never actually came to the UK. So the only reason I was able to play it is because a friend of mine imported it. Uh, 2004, I think, he imported it and I borrowed it. And I was able to play it. It was in black and white originally. And then I got a TV that could convert it properly. Um, so I managed to play it a number of years after the original release of it, just because of the import. That's pretty cool. Just to uh, just to cover something that you said there about it being in black and white, that was obviously because you're you've got a PAL TV yeah. and you were probably using an RF cable rather than a Scott. It was an official whatever. game. It was just the the RF cable. It couldn't mm-hmm. switch to color because of differences in TVs That's and stuff. It. It, yeah, um, uh, us over here in the UK have a slight or used to have a slightly different color system for. Uh, for TVs and stuff, if you want to look it up, look in, look into the differences between PAL and NTSC broadcasting, and you can go down a whole rabbit hole. There's lots of uh, sciencey things to look into. So, oh yeah, yeah, different frame rates and all sorts. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, but yes. So okay. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're hoping that this episode we don't want to commit another um, uh, another cardinal sin. Now the cardinal sin that we committed was when we talked about uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse with our good friend Andrew uh, Andrew Dickinson. I almost said Andrew Oddment then. That's his uh, that's his Twitter handle. But so the cardinal sin that we committed with uh, Andrew Dickinson was when we talked about. Um, Resident Evil Apocalypse. Uh, what we did was <laughs> we ended up talking for twice the length of the movie. Um, and that's not a bad thing because we had loads of fun doing it. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to keep everything we've said so far and what we're about to say less than the length of the movie. Now, the movie is two hours long. I reckon we can do this in about an hour, Squidge. What do you reckon? Well, give like 20 minutes or so for giggling. Because oh, there's, totally. there's a lot of stuff I'm going to rip into this movie for just because I can't. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, um, so so let's get on to the movie. But the first thing we're going to say is there's some stuff at the beginning of this movie that gets a bit heavy, and we're kind of not going to talk about it, um, just because it's not it, it's part of the movie, it's part of the journey that the characters go on. But if you want to go watch the first thirty minutes of the movie, and then we'll sort of there there will be bits that we pick up out of out of that, but we were we were not we're not going to go through in uh, in detail, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of. Something happens, it's meant to hit you in the feels, which it does, but it's it doesn't linger on it. But when you're watching it, if you're sensitive to like watching movies where there's feels, it's a hard time to get through. Totally. Um, also, because it's got elements of like horror and body horror and stuff, there are going to be squelchy and slurpy noises if you're going to watch it yourself. If you don't like them, there's quite a few in this, so just be wary of it. Absolutely. And um, obviously check the show notes because I'll have put a content warning in it. Mm. We're we're obviously going to talk about a horror movie. Things happen to people in horror movies. People are going to die in this film. Spoilers. So, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> That's what happens in horror movies, right? People yeah. die. So um, we, we may end up discussing how these people bite the bullet, as it were. Um, and if we do, then you need to know about that ahead of time. So, Squidge, would you mind putting in... Awesome. Okay, so let's quickly talk about this movie then. So before we get into anything, it is sciencey, but don't worry. The first twenty minutes of the movie are going to beat you over the head with the science. You know, 
the the thing you need to know is that every cell in your body is made up of like a nucleus and all that kind of stuff. But also there's a lump of stuff in there called the mitochondria, and that converts fatty acids into energy for the rest of the cell. Uh, the the basic conceit of this movie uh, and the book and the games, I guess, is that yeah. you can travel back in time through our genetics and every single person that has ever lived has had mitochondria in their DNA, hmm. uh, not in their DNA, in their cells. Um, and they can, they, the scientists reckon they can try, they can trace all of that back to what they are calling mitochondrial Eve. Now, the conceit of this movie, before we get into the movie, is that what if th- those mitochondria could, could become self-aware and control a person, right? Um, and so that's your conceit. That's, that's the basic synopsis of what's about to happen. Um, but they don't get into that until we're about 40 minutes into the film where they're like, dun, 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 without the dun, 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 right? So just a quick question before we start, Jay. Have you mm-hmm. got the names of the characters? Because I only got them late on in my notes. I have. So uh, the main character is Nagashima Toshiaki. Toshi, yeah, Toshiaki. Um, and he is a, he's a microbiologist. Uh, he has a wife called Kiyomi. Um, and he has a colleague called Asakura. Um, and there is a doctor that I missed the name of. I call him Dr. Curtains and we'll find out why in a moment. <laughs> um, and there's a little girl called Mariko. Mariko, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've got the synopsis open so we can find out where we are, right? Absolutely. Okay, so take it away, Mr. Storyman. So at the beginning of the movie... Um, there's lots of like crazy, there's a crazy, um, collage of like an eye, some red fluids and some fingers and, uh, and, and what I can only describe as a, a boot sound from an unknown nineties video game console. It's like, people, 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 like that. Right. So that, that happens. Right. And then loads of stuff happens over the next 20 minutes of the film, um, but uh, so so one thing to know going into this is that the book is non-linear, like the book is is comprised of scenes that are not presented to you in the right order. And so the first job that the production company had to do was, was take the book, <laughs> yeah, split it into the correct order, and then um, and then make sense of it from there. The guy Tarantino so, did essentially. Uh, kind of, yeah. yeah. But um, but but so because of that, there's a little bit of that in the beginning. There's like flash forwards and uh, what what are called Chekhov's guns, things that appear that won't be talked about until later that make no sense right now, but will make sense later on. Yeah. So for an interesting intro, that's what it makes. Absolutely. And so you know, you're treated to um, learning about all of these characters. So you know, you get a uh, <laughs> what I call a bad CGI bird is bad. Oh, um, I've got the hawk CGI is amazing. Oh, it's 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 amazingly bad, oh, definitely. Amazing. It is clearly the last thing that they did, I think, uh, because they they will 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 see it later on, but they spent a lot of money on the CGI towards the end of the film, and then kind of went, oh wait, we need a bird. We don't have a bird. I know. We'll get a CGI bird. Um, so check the show notes for a screenshot of that because uh, I've got a screenshot for that ready. Um, 
but you get chucked in straight away to um, a what I'm guessing is a university le- a university lecture by yes. the doctor explaining what mitochondria is, and I've just put grab your notebooks. It's time to learn, sucker. It's goes oh, in the that's section. It. That's it. Um, if you can follow it along, then yes, you're going to learn a whole bunch about mitochondria. It's not just and that. I've, I've, oh, sorry, I've, I've got. Um, is this projector powered by hamsters on a wheel? It needs a good lubing up. Now, there's a phrase we don't hear anymore. We should say that more often. Needs a good lubing up. <laughs> That's the explicit check mark. Then, fantastic. Thank you, Squidge. Mm. Um, but yes, so there's there's a a a, a multi minute. I would say there's like a ten minute. Um, sort of montage of each character gets introduced over the next 10 minutes and they're all doing something that's important to them. So yeah, Toshiaki is um, giving a lecture about mitochondria. Um, His wife is hanging out the washing. Yeah, very important to remember that. That's it. Hanging out the washing from a supermarket trolley, uh, a hand basket thing. That's what it looks like to me. I've just put, why is she hanging a washing out from a a basket she nicked from Tesco's? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so she's hanging out her washing in the quietest area of Tokyo ever with a multi-story house with a back garden. Mm-hmm. Now, I, for those of you who have been to um, Tokyo, you will know that even the suburbs, you don't have a back garden unless you have a load of money. And it's um, not so- quiet. Absolutely. So, yeah, she's hanging out the washing. She finds a daisy. Um, and then we cut to, um, a, a lady. We cut to Asakura, who is, uh, Toshiaki's, um, assistant. We'll find that, find that out later. She's walking through, um, yes, uh, she's walking through the, uh, university grounds giving the kids some, some school, some random school kids, um, a lesson on, um, bacteria and biology and stuff and the kids are all like Ew, bacteria yuck yeah, and then one that. of them goes oh wow look snails and i'm like uh, then it sort of then it sort of cuts to um yeah sorry and it sort of cuts to um the, what you find out is the transplant person the transplant recipient is sat by a pool with a lot of people jumping in and you don't realize why until a bit later on but she gets up and she just falls into the pool and i just put heads up zombies in the pool because it's just she had that far away look and she went started yeah. floating. I just went, heads up, zombies in the pool. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you find out what that's about later on. Um, I just wanna I just wanna do the silly joke that I was gonna do about the yeah, uh, the the snails, and that was you know these kids are like Ugh, bacteria, and then they're all like oh wow snails, those are cool, and I'm like hang on, <laughs> one of these things is yucky, and the other one is bacteria. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, you see, you see Mariko. You don't know her name yet. She's sitting by the pool, um, and all of her classmates are all swimming, and she's not allowed to. Uh, you find out later. But yeah, then she sort of stands up and throws herself in the pool. Um, yeah, we won't go into what she's trying to do, but trigger warning. But um, and then goes back to the snail, doesn't it? Yes. To the awesome and I'll introduce this awesome part by saying this: a snail, you say. Prepare thyself for pure awesomeness. Absolutely. <laughs> so Asakura says to the kids, "Look, take the snail, for example. The snail has bacteria living in it, and when it reaches a certain age, the bacteria move up to the horns at the that stick out the, the front of the snail, and these attract the eyes of the birds who then eat the snail because the bacteria wants to be, or rather, the, yeah, the bacteria wants to be inside of the body of the bird. And they're like, why, why? And all of a sudden you hear this... 
of some kind of bird swooping in and the kids all get um uh ptsd and and uh, uh, nightmares for life as this uh <laughs> quite clearly hand puppet bird sort of moves into frame wiggles about a bit and then um the the, the snail is cut in two mm. yeah. it's um you hear like heavy 90 synth when this happens. Mm. But the note I've put is heavy synth for the Hawks theme music. Hawk arrives after entrance music, eats a snail and leaves. That's metal as f***. <laughs> also, just some of that we quickly went over um, that yeah. we missed earlier on is when when our main character, I'm just going to call him Dr. Nutbar for reasons we'll find out later on. <laughs> he's giving his talk and then someone asks a question. And when... When this person asked the question, they basically said, so what do we need mitochondria for anyway? And you hear like a reaction from the crowd. And it sounds just like the reaction in a Phoenix Wright game. I was expecting to hear a gavel being smashed after that. It sounds <laughs> just objection. like it. Objection. Yes. Quiet in the court. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting that you bring that up, right? Because at the end of the lecture, we get some Playboy-style candids of mitochondria. Which, you know, is shocking, really. How dare he show that, that, that stuff in public? I also like the, the, the big words that he uses in the lecture, like, mitochondria is symbiosis in humans. Mm -hmm. Which I just put, does that make us all like venom? I'm okay with that. And if I am a symbiote, my symbiote name is Pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Squidge. Don't ever change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so then the 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 lecture ends. Uh, Kiyomi, who is Toshiaki, or indeed as Squidge called him, Doctor Nutbars, uh, she's his wife. She turns up, and they go outside, and they go for a bit of a walk. And, uh, and you she find says, out pretty quickly he's forgot about his anniversary. That's Oops. exactly it. Yeah, first anniversary as well. So that's like the oh. most important one. Yes. Um, and you find out that he's been uh, obsessed with his work. Uh, these are, you find this in movies, right? They're dropping hints about um, the characters, right? They're saying he's obsessed with his work. He's not been home very much. And, you know, it affects their, their, uh, their relationship and things like that, right? So, um, and so you've, yeah, you find out that they've sort of become a little bit estranged and he's forgotten the, uh, the anniversary. And then they have this moment that is, um, I've written down that it's the, I won't let you kiss me, so you must chase me scene. Um, he goes to grab her and kiss her, but we're in a close-up. And for those who don't know, Japanese TV and movies, you can't have people kissing. So it cuts to a wide shot of them chasing each other through um, a tiny, I want to say a wooded area, but by that I mean there's three trees. It's sort of like a, a um, Fisher-Price, my first wooded area. There's a couple of trees and a bit of grass. That's exactly it. Yeah. And whilst we remain in that wide shot, we get something that approximates towards a kiss because, you know, because in Japanese TV and movies, you can't have that. So it approximates to it, but it doesn't actually reach that because she's all shocked. <gasps> you can't, you, you know, you, you, you don't want to kiss me. I have to be all innocent. And, and this is in, in direct contrast to her later character. Yeah. Um, because yeah, uh, we'll find out why in a moment. And then I've put, meanwhile, in the Batcave, science is happening. Also, I'm not sure that microscopes work like that. Hang on, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. So what I've put is, not only did he forget his first anniversary, oops, but his wife expected that to happen, because she said, I expected that to happen. That's a very understanding waifu you've got there, Professor. And the next Absolutely. bit I've got is, she, she goes a bit 
weird the music kicks in which is a recurring theme and she says mm. i've waited for so long ah the uh, the music and the sudden um, wind interface could this be a sign of plot absolutely uh, it's played off in that scene as if to say i've waited so long for you to come home because you're always working but we'll find out later what that line actually means. And back um, to the, the line that Jay said about the microscopes. I've turned that into something else. I've put life hack. You can look through a microscope from another room as long as you're in a lab and you're on the outside. Like and subscribe for more tips and tricks coming in the coming weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, Toshiaki waves his wife goodbye. She drives back home. Uh, and then Toshiaki goes down to what I keep calling the bat cave, where there is some serious science happening because oh, yeah. there's all sorts of all manner of equipment and people are wearing lab coats. Oh, yeah. And there are computers and things that take uh, uh, glasses full of liquid and wiggle them about a bit, a little bit. Random beeping sounds as well. Absolutely. There's beeping sounds. There's all sorts. And yeah, as Squidge says, um, Toshiaki approaches this window and Asagura bangs on the window. This is his assistant says, look, 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 it's awesome. Check out this. And he presses his face against the window. Um, Asagura moves a microscope to put it against the window and he goes, yeah, 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 that's awesome. Awesome. Amazing. Science. Science is happening and it's brilliant. Also, because it's a, a lab area, you've got, I've just put sensei and wise older person strokes his beard. Quite common oh, in movies yeah. of this area. Just a, yeah, mm, there's, there's, there's lots of that. There's lots of that. So um, Toshiaki has a supervisor who's also a PhD um, person, and and he appears quite a lot in all of the important scenes and just stands there and strokes his beard and asks questions, which is, I think, the, the, the rule of if you are an older science person, that's what you do. You stroke whatever you have on your chin, if you have something on your chin, and ask important questions. But yeah, uh, so what we've got is wife is driving home through the quietest streets in Tokyo. Hang on, I'd, I'd just like to point out one of the stupidest conversation bits that I picked up on is how our hero, Dr. Nutbar, goes into a separate room with his assistant and they're, they're doing sciencey stuff with machines that go beep and what have you and test tubes and what have you. And one of the part of the conversations is Dr. Nutbar says, do you think the mitochondria have their own agenda? And I just put, yeah. sure, probably. There's probably a support group and a Discord by now. <laughs> so that is, that right there is the Chekhov's gun. Um, <laughs> whilst I believe Toshiaki is using a Chekhov's gun. Um, check the show notes for a screenshot. And if you're watching along, this is 16 minutes and 30 seconds in. Um, he's using a device that looks a bit like a gun, and I'm calling it the Chekhov's gun. Mm. But we know this, that some serious, serious science is happening here because they have a Bunsen burner burning for no reason. Mm. So yeah, um, whilst they are they're, whilst they're discussing this, it keeps um, it keeps cutting backwards and forwards to the wife driving the car, and I've written stop. The science that you're discussing is killing her because she keeps like blacking out or holding her head and it cuts back and forwards as they're discussing mitochondria. I've got a theory about that. Oh, yeah. It's not the mitochondria's fault. At this point in the movie, it wasn't the mitochondria's fault at all. Do you know why I blame? What, what, what do you blame? The sound guy. Every time <laughs> the sound changes, something goes wahoonie shaped. So I blame the sound guy at this point for those heavy synths. We're just not ready for him. <laughs> which is not heavy synth is going to cause problems that's it that's it just don't be around synthesizers when they're playing a lot oh, um, yeah. 
What I'll point out is... Sorry, uh, so just, Phantom of the Opera would have been different if it was a synthesizer, <laughs> wouldn't it? I can't even imagine that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so what I'll point out at this point, because we're about to diverge from the book, our mm. first big divergence. Um, if you do want to read about the book, um, I have actually written a blog post about it. So check the full show notes. There'll be a link to when I wrote about that. I think I got, I think I called it Parasite Eve. You've got science in my fiction, right? Mm. Um, and it was about the book because uh, we were originally going to do a series of blog posts about the book and the movie and the, and the, um, and the games, but we may end up doing a series of podcasts. We don't know, but mm. yes, you want to learn about the book, go read that, uh, that blog post. Um, but this is where we diverge from the book because, um, at this point in the book, there's been, there's been, um, no hints dropped whatsoever as to what's going on. Um, we meet Toshiaki. We go through that, uh, the, the whole, uh, everyday everything, but they don't discuss mitochondria in a huge amount. Um, but in the movie, we've had all of these big, not so subtle hints. Yeah. You're being smashed over the head with a foldable chair at this point by, you know, they go, look, look, this is the point of the movie. This is what's going to happen. Pay attention to these sentences because we'll say them three or four times. Ah, so, yeah. you know, that's happening. And we're only 18 minutes into the film when that happens. The um, next part of this film, I've got a few things I'm going to say about it, but then we're going to skip over it completely. It does hit you in the feels. It seems like 90s Japanese movies had the gritty and raw down pat before it's been brought in recently. You see um, someone testing strawberry jam in a test tube because that's medical. Mm. You know? And um, the, only, the only other thing I've got is after, we'll mention what happens in a second, when he's in his lab by himself, you can tell something's going to happen. Because he sat there in his lab, he looks across at what looks to be an incubator, and there's a shaft of light illuminating it. So that's not plot at all. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let Jay tell you what happens next, because I'm not going to go over it too much. We'll, we'll breeze straight past it. Um, uh, Kiyomi dies. That's it. Yes. Um, that's that's all you really need to know. Kiyomi dies, and um, and and Nagashima. He's told, uh, you know, your wife was on the transplant list, um, and we've got a person who needs a kidney. Give us the kidney. Give us the kidney. Give us the kidney. Yeah. Give uh, us the kidney. They, they break quite a lot of rules to try and get the kidney for this transplant Absolutely. person. The only thing that he says is he'll agree to it if he can get the liver mm-hmm. for himself. We don't know why at this point, but mm-hmm. there's all sorts of different you know things going on. And mm-hmm. I just put, he's a researcher. Give him the damn liver. He ain't going to eat it. Or is he? No, no, he's not. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I will say that it is. It's it's slightly clearer in the original Japanese dialogue. So uh, for 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 people who are playing along at home, we're watching a Squidge and I watched a version of the movie with English subs. Yes. But the the Japanese dialogue makes it very clear that um, he that um, Toshiaki's area of expertise is regrowing livers mm. um, by the use of. Um, through the use of mitochondria, um, injecting mitochondria into, into cells that are not, that are suffering with cirrhosis, perhaps that can bring them back. But to um, to stimulate regrowth. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's really obvious in the Japanese dub, just not very Mm. obvious in the, in the subtitles, which is a bit of a shame. I do notice that, um, during this whole lead up to, uh, Toshiaki wanting the lever, um, they, they, they use Hollywood cliche number 487. And that is, it only rains when it's sad. Yes. 
Um, um, I've got two things to say before we move on to the main crux of the film is you get a flashback, mm. right? And it's him at Christmas and he meets this person and he asks for ID mm. and um, he says, Kiyomi, yeah. and she says, yeah, so, it means Christmas Eve. And I thought that sounds a bit weird. So the reason, so just to, <laughs> just to put in the reason for that. So, um, the, so, um, Toshiaki is dressed as a sort of Santa type character. He's giving out presents under a Christmas tree and everyone gets one present. Someone walks up and says, can I have two? Cause it's my birthday and it's Kiyomi. This is when they meet and he says, I don't believe you. So she pulls out her ID to show that it is, it is indeed her birthday, which is obviously what I do. If somebody asks when your birthday and they don't believe you, I pull out my ID. Anyway, she pulls out her ID and, and quite literally, I've looked it up. The character, the Japanese characters that make up her full name, um, can also, if you write it in a really rare way in Japanese, be read christmas eve or rather not christmas eve but the end the 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 day before the solstice the winter solstice uh celebrations or whatever i was gonna ask you about that because i didn't have a clue it just sounded really old (laughs) you know all all those thousands of years ago they know what christmas is hey absolutely (laughs) but what happens after that after the flashback is of the the organ donation happens and Mm -hmm. dr curtains which i'll I'll let jay explain in a second (laughs) He gets, he sort of fulfills his part of the bargain and he gives Dr. Nutbar the liver. And I just put, um, he got that liver, maniacal laugh. Because he just has a look on his face. He couldn't be more maniacal if he had a massive tash and circular goggles, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, so the reason that Nagashima wants, or Toshiaki, uh, wants that liver is because he has this brainwave of, if I get her liver, I can keep her alive, or rather yeah. part of her alive. This is really, really explicit in the book, but not in the film. It's not really, it is kind of mentioned later on, but it's like a throwaway line. Um, and so that's why he begs for the liver, because he just wants to keep the liver alive. If he can grow some cell cultures from it, then he can, in a way, keep his, his dead wife alive, which I can kind of agree with. reason that dr curtains is called dr curtains is because he's got <laughs> curtain style haircut you know it's a just a, any uh, 90s boy band. down the middle that's it just go look up up um early nsync pictures and you'll know that's what we're on it. about that's it um so uh yeah so dr curtains wants the kidney because he wants to give that to mariko and you find out that mariko has already had um, one failed kidney transplant um operation he and wants she's looking that's it. And she's she's looking at a, a life of dialysis. Hmm. And there's several scenes of her in the hospital looking around, seeing lots of people on dialysis. She doesn't want that, which explains why she did what she did towards the beginning of the film. That I'm not going to say what she did, but you can get what get an idea of what she did by what I'm saying. Dialysis um, machine is busy doing dialysis stuff. That's it. Mm. Um, but what I want to take a moment to talk about is the sound design in this film. It's pretty it's really good. obvious. Yeah, it's really obvious during the uh, operation where they're removing um, Kiyomi's uh, liver and um, kidney, right? You only hear sounds if they are happening right next to the camera, right? So if something is happening in a wide shot, 
you don't hear the sound effect. But if it's happening right on top of the camera, you hear the sound. So it's almost like it's like it's presented as if we are a silent observer of the events happening. Right. It's also all the way through the film. You have sections where there's complete silence Mm -hmm. and it does. It's it's for effect and impact and it does work. It's it's a rare instance where I've seen lots of movies where it's gone complete silence, but you could hear like a, a high pitch whine or some wind in the background. This is complete and utter silence. I thought my headphones ran out of charge when I was listening to this. I just yeah, had to absolutely. double check. But it's absolutely. the silence is there for an effect and it really does have that impact, yeah, yeah. that extra impact. It's it's so good. Is the is the uh, sound in this? Yeah, absolutely. Um and, and like Case in point being the doctor's watch. There's a part where he looks at the watch, but he brings the, so the camera is pointing kind of roughly down towards the floor. The watch comes into view and stays there for a moment, then goes back out of view. As it comes into view, you can hear the ticking of the second hand slowly fade in and then it stays there. And as he moves the watch away, it slowly fades back out again. Like it is very explicitly designed specifically to sound like that, right? Mm. Anyway, we're now at 38 odd minutes into the film and, you know, we're, we're, we're past the bit where all of the, um, the, the feels bits happen, right? Um, and so, like I said, quick, quick catch up because we're skipping over some heavy bits. Uh, Kiyomi's died. Um, she was a perfect match for Mariko, mm. who, a, who needs a transplant of kidneys. Um, and Nagashima has asked for his wife's liver for dot, dot, dot reasons. Sciencey reasons. Absolutely. And he, um, he eventually gets it after a lot of sort of eyebrow wrinkling. Mm, should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? I'll do it. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so we find out that um, that, that the present that his wife bought him was this god-awful tie. I want um, one. Is it wrong that I want that tie? It is I don't horrid. wear them. I don't wear them, but I want that tie. Is that wrong? It is horrid, this tie. Anyway, the tie's horrid. <laughs> Right, Squid wants one. Ty's horrid, um, and uh, and he rushes off with the liver. He doesn't care about his wife's body anymore. He's done with that. He's got the liver now, and he becomes like mad scientist. Right, he runs off to the to the lab, starts cutting up the liver, putting it under the microscope next to the Bunsen burner, doing some serious, super duper important. This is the most important science science stuff. What I've got is uh, sciencey stuff is going to happen today. Um, oh, today, sciencey stuff is going to happen. Non-scientist gone rogue. Also, I like the fact he wanders in with his big steel thing. His assistant's there, and he says, I'd like the use of the lab by myself, please. And she's a little in shock to a point where he's moving stuff over, and then he looks at her, and it's that exact point where you realise this ain't going to end well, because he goes, get out, and just pushes her out and slams the door. What I'll say to you, Ray, <laughs> is I was getting a slightly different read from that scene. Mm. Um, he's really, he's very precious about this big metal box. He goes, and gets rid um, of the... Oh, what's he called from? Is it Gollum from Lord of the Rings? He goes full Gollum, my precious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets rid of gets rid of Asakura, kicks her out, and he goes to open the box, right? And there's a really long lingering shot of the camera slowly moving in as he's about to open the box. And what I was hoping for when he opened the box was one of two things. One, he opens the box, epic sax man, please. <laughs> okay. Or two, he opens the box and it's like a severed head. Just- or, or three, he opens the box, Freddy Krueger's hand pops out and drags him inside it. 
Absolutely. That's the, that's Absolutely. obviously the American remake in it. Yeah. Yep. So Asakura, not Asakura, <laughs> um, Nagashima then starts sort of dissecting his wife's liver, cutting it open to pieces so he can grow cultures from it. Doing some stuff, yeah. Absolutely. And there's this music that plays in the background. And if you're watching along, it's minute 48. Right? There's this music that plays in the background that is eerily reminiscent, like almost exactly reminiscent of something in the Resident Evil soundtrack, like the original Resident Evil on the PlayStation. And I said to Squidge earlier, and it sounds a bit like the music that plays either as you go into the guardhouse or as you get down into the labs for the first time. Like, doom, 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 doom. Oh, I know what that doom, is. That's doom, doom. Um, when you go in through the guardhouse, going towards Neptune. It's when you're pushing the boxes around. It's the Neptune area. But I know what music you're on about, yeah. What I've got for this next bit is not exactly a description of what he's doing because it does like heavy science stuff. He's doing things with with machines. He's, put, he's mixing cultures up. He's doing stuff. He's labelling the bottles where his wife's liver is and he puts Eve on the side. He's doing stuff. And you see like six, six or 12 of them in this medical fridge. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that was going through my mind was, so uh, where's Kiyomi? Oh, slash Eve today. Oh, the wife, she's in bottles in the medical fridge. Wait, what? <laughs> hey, come again. You know, that's all I put down because I just, uh, that's how my brain works. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so just to, just to set expectations, I'm halfway through my notes now. Um, I've, I'm a, a third. So I've got a few okay. more. So you've got a few more, a few more points than me, right? So, uh, yeah, he puts all of these, these cultures into the fridge and leaves them there overnight. He's replaced. So earlier in the film, you see them put, um, cultures of different things in there. What has happened is he's ditched all of those. You don't see it, don't see it on screen, but it's the only things that are in that, uh, refrigerator. So he ditches all of the other cultures and puts it's, his it's cul- cultures, cultures from, in. uh, rat livers, isn't it? It's working with yeah. rat livers. That's it. Um, Don't then, listen to this while you're eating, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> so what happens is, um, you know, uh, Asakura comes in and she's like, what's this? What's this? Um, and to cut a long story short, the uh, the cultures sort of come to life almost. And, and start, to, and, start to bubble. Up yeah, they start to come to life. And um, eventually what happens with her is that she becomes possessed by a drop of the goo from one of the cultures. That's some really cool CGI. Yeah. 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 Some really cool CGI that happens. I'll put a a screenshot in the show notes. I'm jumping forward a bit, but let's come back a little bit. But then what happens after that, you get um, a shot to the, is it Mariko? I've spelled it wrong yeah. in my notes, but so yeah, Mariko is he's in the hospital recovering from her operation. So she's recovering she from the operation. She's getting a little upset. She's getting a little obsessed with sounds around her, and you mm-hmm. see like corridors. You see lots of pipes going across the top, and you see the world's worst cleaner. He's just dragging a mop down a corridor, and he's leaving a bloody handprint on the other side of a window. I don't know how that got there. Again, right? Check the show notes. I'll put a screenshot. At right. Fifty-two forty-two. The cleaner walks straight past the door, right? And the door has this, like, you know, when people smack their hand against a window and then drag it down. It's got one of those, but it's like a bloody handprint version of that. But the the other thing that I've thought about is, <laughs> so the cleaner is dragging the mop behind them, and it's leaving like this weaving and uh, this weaving path. And part of me is thinking, is that meant to represent the snail, perhaps? Possibly. Because what we're about to see and what we're about to witness from this point onwards is we humans are the snails. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Eve 
as we'll find out in a moment, is the hawk, right? So maybe that's why. So um, that handprint, I'd just like to add that handprint. It's it's like a classic American-style movie one where it drags down. At no point, because I think that's where the operation happened, at no point does a bloody hand go onto that window. At no, no point is it cleaned. At no oh, point absolutely. is it explained how it's there. <laughs> absolutely. It's just I think- there. Either either it was it was there on set when they turned up and they were told not to clean it, or they put it on there as some kind of reference to some other film, or somebody thought, hey, this would be fun, set it up, no one noticed while they were filming, and then they went, oh, bother, we have to film this again. Wait, we've only got two days left, we better move on. So maybe that's it. But what I've what I've noticed is uh, in that scene, all of the pipes are dripping. Yeah. You said there, Squidge, everything's dripping, right? Everything's dripping. And like, this hospital has a real problem with dripping pipes. Maybe they should have got the Mario Brothers in. Now, so a quick question. Um, I was going to mention this later on, but with things like movie like Dark Water and what mm-hmm. have you, is it, because I remember you telling me something like this before, is there a common fear of water in Japan? Because there's a, there's a hell of a lot of it in this film. And I think if you know that, it explains why a lot of the characters get a lot more freaked out. Yeah. So uh, culturally, um, at least up until the 90s, I think the the... The uh, the generations, the people now aren't so afraid of it. But up until the 90s, the Japanese were very afraid of water. If you imagine it, you're you're a t- like Japan is a tiny set of islands, right? Yeah, it's very, it's, it's tiny quite set small considering. <laughs> it's always every year there's a tsunami or there's some kind of uh, waves crashing over and, and wiping people out. There is a common cultural fear of water in Japan, which is why. So what we're seeing when we're seeing Mariko getting upset is she's having a nice nightmare yeah right and she's having a nightmare and she's having almost like a premonition because it is it's showing you what's going to happen mm. later in the film it's that check um, gun again uh, Chekhov's gun again this 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 movie should be called Chef- Chekhov's gun the movie um but it's yeah, not as so, bad as some movies i've seen but that's it um so to the marico thing right i've got this i'll just say it as one big long sentence because that's how i wrote it do you think the kidney transplant gave Mariko superpowers? Also, it makes me wonder, do you think that she was given a list in to, for the prep for the transplant of things not to do, things to do, things to eat and stuff on it? And it had a clause at the bottom saying, you will have your hair cut because reasons, medical presumably. <laughs> I know why it was cut, is to make her, she had long hair, to make her look more like um, Eve or... yeah. You know, and um, I think you get a scene where she's playing in, playing in a chair, throwing a ball. So the transplant was successful. But then later on that night, she seemingly has another nightmare. And Dr. Curtin's noticed that during her nightmare, her stomach bulges a few times, which isn't normal. Yeah. I just might add, sort of like a, I, I almost put, um, you know, hold him down. I think a chest burst is going to fly out. But it just sort of looks like it's a it's a very uncomfortable looking bulge. That's where the body horror comes from. And Absolutely. He, he, he just sort of looks at it and goes, Ugh. very concerned mm. in his face when he moves his cat out of his eyes, you know. Yeah. Um, so after that, we've got um, uh, Toshiaki. He's wearing that god awful tie and doing That's some what serious. I put, that ugly tie again. <laughs> Absolutely. This time it's the most serious science. Oh yeah. Because what he's doing is he's he's observing and talking to the cell cultures 
of the liver of his wife and he's talking to the cell cultures as if they are his wife and whilst he's watching um the cell cultures start to expand and 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 exponentially grow and suddenly his wife's face is looking back at him through the uh through the microscope and he's like oh and gets freaked out and runs away um and then asakura is then practicing her speech a slash paper that she's going to deliver um and she gets distracted walks into that little lab and looks in the freezer and notices they're all called Eve, and then shenanigans happen. Just, just quick, quick, quick thing. Yeah, yeah. To, you, you missed a little bit that I picked up on, but I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll go into it. Right. So you get to Doctor Curtin's, and there's him and his surgical assistant. I'm guessing his assistant. They sat there looking at these purple. I'm guessing some sort of X-ray things, and yes. they are told they've got three times ta- the, the mitochondria in the transplant patient's body is three times the size. There's over 16,000 cells, I don't know how much that is, which reproducing fast. And I just put, mm-hmm. at this rate, she'll be an extra in a Godzilla film. Just stick her in a, a suit and say that it's mitochondria that did it. It's not nuclear. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all so, you need. You need mitochondria reproducing that many times. Next thing you know, you're fighting Godzilla in the next movie. That's exactly I it. I mean, it's a life goal for me. I don't know about you, yep. but... So yeah, that's it. Um, so we get told that, and then um, Asakura is in the lab, and she's checking on uh, some stuff. She's she's checking the the paper she's going to deliver. Some noises happen. We know that shenanigans are afoot because we can hear this water squelchy squelchy noise. She walks into the the lab where all of the cultures are, and one of them falls on the floor and smashes all over the floor. And she goes, "I know, I'm a scientist. There's some some yellow goop on the floor. I'll stick my fingers in it." Yeah. Where's the bloody health and safety there, right? What kind of science? What kind of scientist does that? But then that reminds me of the story of you know the um uh the asapartim. I'm probably mispronouncing Al- asapartim. asapartim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the uh, the sweetener. Well, apparently the scientist who discovered that was mixing some chemicals, spilt them on his table, and decided to lick it. It's similar to the guy who discovered LSD. He accidentally spilt some on his hand and then went on a trip for twelve hours. Yeah. What we're saying is sometimes scientists are weird. Anyway. Yeah, they, they forget the golden room in chemistry. Never look a spoon. One um, thing that I did pick up on is, yeah. I just put it here, I said, I tell you something, it's in that hospital and now it's in the, in the labs. That fly extra is doing some serious overtime, inspiring the future generations of fly actors. Very inspirational stuff. <laughs> it was going for it. Did you hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the the look that when he's interrupted, when he's talking to the reproductive cells, or the, the cells that are reproducing of his wife, you know, the look that he gives his assistant, I've just put some some serious medicine science talk is going to happen. Result? Oh, yeah. Um, he is... No, that's the wrong part. No, it isn't. He is galloping towards his... Hang on. He is galloping towards office face madness moving around on a pogo stick. <laughs> and that carries on to when Dr. Curtin's actually catches up to him a bit later on, you see the same thing. Yeah. He's he's yeah. galloping down office face madness completely. You can just tell. And the music helps. <laughs> that bloody music guy is off again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The soundtrack in this film is brilliant. Um, so, yeah, uh, I have to say, right, the CGI of um, Asakura's ear as a drop of... Um, the 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 mitochondrial goop falls into it is spot on it is brilliant it's surprising for, 90s, for 1997 yeah absolutely so um let me yeah so for 
for a 90s movie, right? This was made in 1997 with a budget of $900,000 across Mm. eight weeks. So that's eight weeks from uh, pre-production to principal photography to CGI to edit to done, right? Eight weeks is nothing. And um, and $900,000 is nothing when you need the sets that they need for this movie. So I'm super impressed, right? Um, I've put weird fluid, weird fluid drip in there here. It's like a face, bugger, a face hugger, but worse. <laughs> Didn't even realize. But the next thing I put, obviously it's going to mention in a second, is after that happens, like immediately after, Dr. Nutbar comes back into his lap. Mm-hmm. He noticed that some of the Eve slime, some of the Eve cultures have smashed down on the floor. He does exactly the same thing. He touches it. He don't quite understand what's happening. And then this big, what I can only describe, because I can't put any pictures, is if you imagine the slime from Ghostbusters 2, mm-hmm. but better quality graphics, you know, CGI. And it, it drips yeah. from the roof, hits the floor, and there's some sort of it kind of looks like the 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 slime is finding its limbs and it's doing like a dance and spinning and then what seemingly his wife appears in so front of him what I'll say about that whole scene that whole scene is amazing right he it is it's fantastic and to say that he's slightly miffed would be an understatement um and he actually gets upset at one point um, yeah. about all of the stuff being on the floor and at exactly one hour 11 minutes and 18 seconds check the show notes i'll put a screenshot um the goop on the floor resembles a face yes it does yeah so that's really cool um there's more resident evil style spooky music as he starts clearing it up and like you say there's this there's this cgi almost like you you ever see the movie the abyss it's that but in yellow right and it drops from the ceiling does a bit of a swirly dance on the floor and then this humanoid figure appears from it and it looks amazing yeah it really does and like i say it's like for for a for a 90s movie with almost no budget this looks amazing the the notes i've got for this next bit it just leads into it is a real life very naked slime girl appears in front of him cue the anime nosebleed and then absolutely I've, and then i thought wait a minute that's kiyom that's kamori K- K- what's her name I've lost it uh, again kiyomi kiyomi yeah i didn't yeah. put another that's kiyomi wait a minute <laughs> so here's here's something uh, i've got a side note about this i was looking into the production of it so uh, the lady that plays kiyomi is called uh riona hazuki and she was hugely famous in japan at this point i thought um, i recognized she, her from a few other things i've, that I've seen she's hugely famous in in the 90s um and has a huge cult following of lots of lots of fans right and the director masayuki ochiai was worried about this scene and essentially all the scenes she's in for the rest of the movie because the script says that she's naked the book because she appears in the book in a similar way says that she's naked right and the director was very much a case of i don't want people to only to only to come to see the film because she's naked in it and i don't want her to be naked on camera this is not fair i don't it will come across as exploitative 
So what he did was he took a hint from uh, Tetsuka Osamu, who is a, a manga cutter, a, a manga artist. Um, and uh, Tetsuka once wrote a story about men hating women, or, or a bunch of men who hate women, who become all powerful. And what he did in that story was um, he had to draw naked women, but he just drew them without the nipples. Mm. Right? Without the nipples, the upper the uh, the upper torso of a, a naked person is just like an outline, right? So the director of this movie did exactly the same thing because he said it would look um it would look intriguing but without being exploitative. It would still have that feeling and it actually ends up being a little bit creepy as well because mm. um Eve as she comes to be known um uh, is no longer um, human. So why would she have nipples, right? She'd have the same form. But yeah. anyway, I've said nipples way too many times. I don't like that. Right. The, the 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 main thing to take from this is, apart from the first time you see her, which you see like top half of her body and one of her legs, right? After that, when you see her, it's just the top half of her body. You never see mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah, because because of those same reasons, right? And um, it's it's the, the it's like the sort of put her in a very very stylized and skin colored bodysuit. So yes. you don't see anything like that. It's 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 meant to be about Absolutely. the story, not the yeah, not the no, I, reveal. And, and and like I say, she's she's it's a stylistic choice and it makes more sense because she's not human anymore. But, it makes her look creepy right. as well. So Yeah, exactly, right? And then unfortunately it goes all weird and attempts to be vaguely explicit and mm. you find out why later on, right? Mm. Um, we're not going to go into it. We're not really going to say what happens, but if you really want to know, you can go watch the film or you can read the one sentence on Wikipedia that, that talks about it. And if you don't want to watch the movie or read the, the sentence on Wikipedia or read the two and a half pages in the book that's dedicated to it, I've got this. This'll, this'll explain it to you. It's nothing bad. I just put, so the embodiment of mitochondria, the big bit of slime known as Eve, just got jiggy with a human. Now, if anything, that's a hell of a bar story. Absolutely. Um, what we find after this is that um, once that happens, uh, you know, Toshiaki Nagashima wakes up all alone and covered in goop and goes home and has a cup of tea. And yeah. what I wrote was, um, you know, uh, when I get my jello on, <laughs> what I like to do is have a cup of tea and stare at a cake afterwards. Because mm. that's what he does. He has a cup of tea and stares at this cake, the cake that his wife baked him that says happy anniversary, that is still there. You know, yeah. she's she's unfortunately died and had been dissected and all this horrible stuff has happened. And it's been a couple of days and the cake is still there uneaten. Now, my question to you, Squidge, is at what point do you consider a cake inedible? If the cake's covered, it can last a few days because it is covered until he uncovers it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It is covered. It's not airtight, but as as long as the icing, because there was icing on that cake, as long as it's not too stiff, the sponge inside will be fine. So I'd say a couple of days, as long as it's partially covered or all covered. Anything okay. anything after that, if if the sponge is too tough, just don't bother. It's too just too risky. Although I will say one thing, I don't know if you noticed this. I put meanwhile the same washing from the beginning of the film is still on the line in the garden. Well, of course he's not been home. And I was actually going to ask, was it a couple of days? But you just answered that. <laughs> yeah, it been, yeah. yeah, it has been a couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the, the next part is he finds the, uh, the, the, it is very cute. The cookbook, the handwritten cookbook. It is yeah, very cute. Yeah. 
yeah. So, um, whilst looking at the cake, Toshiaki looks across and there's a little cookbook that, that his wife has been writing and she's, she's written a bunch of, um, of, of recipes for things she wants to make for her husband for, um, the, uh, the anniversary, you know? And I think the idea is that it was meant to be, I'm going to make him his favorite meals or whatever. And that's, that's lovely. Um, uh, but what happens is he gets partway through it and then turns the, so it's like a, it's a notebook, right? And he's reading it page 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 and then he realizes the part way through it she's written on the other side of the page if that mm. makes sense and and following it back through she starts to sort of lose her mind it's almost the itchy tasty moment yeah right um and it's all like she doesn't he doesn't quite understand what's happening but the the lines of dialogue tell you that mitochondrial eve essentially has taken over her body before she before all of this happened and is slowly driving her insane yeah. uh, because there's this internal conflict of is she really that person? Is yeah. everything she doing mitochondrial Eve's doing? And it actually raises a question towards the end of the film that I have about is Kiyomi a willing participant in mm. what actually happens? You know, is she, he, does, did she actually find Toshiaki um, attractive and went to be with him and wanted to get married? Or was that mitochondrial Eve pulling the, the levers, as it were, of forcing her hand? We'll find that out later. Yeah. But this this cookbook section, I'm going to go forward a bit and then back a bit, right? Mm-hmm. For the two things that I've put is um, after the cookbook, after he reads the cookbook and he sees these flashes, you get a sec. You get a little bit going backwards, where after I'm just going to say he got jiggy with <laughs> with his with his with his missus, or he thought it was his missus. She explains the story to him what she's going to do. Yes. Now that's important for the next bit. I'm going to say, but I just put so wait the cookbook very cute as it is. Uh, um, by the way, it has the ramblings of what seems to be her slowly being controlled by Eve, hearing voices, feeling hot, um, feels like her veins are going to explode, and she's hearing his voice at random points. And I just put go see a bloody doctor. <laughs> that ain't right. And the next part of but so it turns out that the explanation from Eve, which comes after he finds the the ramblings in the book, um, was to say that she had been controlling Doctor Nutbar, not Doctor Nutbar's wife, to get jiggy with him to culture her. So <laughs> Doctor Nutbar getting jiggy with crazy. I can't imagine that's going to bite him in the backside at any point. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that all makes sense, right? Um, he's not paying attention when Eve first tells him his plan. So we don't hear it. He then goes home, he reads through the book, he fills in some gaps, and then he suddenly remembers what she said. And then we're told what she said. And we find out that Eve, mitochondrial Eve, has been waiting for billions of years for someone as clever as Toshiaki to appear so that he could help her reach the next level of evolution. Um, and I have to say there's something really strange about Japanese horror in the early nineties, especially the novels, right? Every single novel seems to be about, um, evolution and human beings being replaced by some higher evolution of human beings and how horrible that would be. I don't know whether there was something in the water or what, but that it seems to be the thing that happens. Well, well, if you consider the time frame, you've got stuff like, um, you know, going into the 90s, the DNA is starting to be mapped. A lot of work's mm. been done into that. And then the, there's talk of, like, using stem cells to recover things. So mm. I think it's using that and saying, well, what if, you know, the things that we're researching now gain sentience, yeah. you know, and it sparks yeah. another revolution. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a, 
a product of its time, if anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that happens. Um, and Toshiaki, or Dr. Nutbar, runs back to the science lab, tries to destroy everything. He's like, no, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to stop you from happening. Hmm. But wait, it's already happened, so it's kind of pointless. Um, and he gets interrupted by Asakura, who says, because he's like, he's going for a walk. He's like, I need to clear my head. And I think there's something that he was going to do that is related to something that Marika tried towards the beginning of the film, but I'm not going to say what it is because mm. uh, that's kind of upsetting. Mm. Um, that that um, that he gets interrupted. Um, Asakura steps kind of into frame. You don't really see her, and she says, "Hey, I'm going to go do my speech now. So why didn't you come along?" He's like, "Huh? Okay." But she's acting a little room. weird. Yeah. He wanders into this room where there's this big, like, like uh, the multiple different science papers are being presented. Before and I have they, to say, before they wander into the room, sorry to interrupt you. Before they yeah. wander into the room, I've just got this. I've just put so a creepy assistant is being creepy, and the awesome hawk is back because you hear it to signal that some serious shit is about to go down. Because <laughs> it is, and also yeah. I might mention that when they go into the the hall. There are two people who are speaking English. Oh, my goodness. That oh freaked my, me out. Oh, my goodness, right? What upset me about this scene, right, is not what happens towards the end. It's what happens right at the beginning. You have two Western actors, mm-hmm. and I use the phrase very, very, very lightly, <laughs> who cannot act. And one of them is reading from the script. Yeah, he, he literally, literally has, has the script, the script yeah. in his hand. And he's reading it <laughs> verbatim, right? And and like uh, I just, uh, I'll put it. I'll put a screenshot. Um, mm. One hour twenty three sec. One hour twenty three seconds forty two. Uh, one hour twenty three minutes forty two seconds. You can see him holding the script. Um, but the other actor that's talking as well, the other Western actor that's talking, is almost as bad. Like she looks. I've never used the phrase "wooden" before to describe an actual actor, but she looks so tense. She's like, "The camera is on me. The camera is on me. I must say my." And the mitochondria are the line. <laughs> you could quite easily replace it with a small cherry tree. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, that happens. Um. But then, um, but then what we see is we're about to see where Squaresoft got the inspiration for the intro sequence oh, yeah. for the video game. Yeah. And it's, it's just shortly after this point that the movie diverges from the book, mm. right? So we're, we're still talking roughly about the book at this point, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so what happens is the Asakura is standing there. She's been possessed by Eve and she says, you're about to witness the next step in human evolution. And you're which- not going to survive. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure that's a line used in every single um, mutant style superhero movie since 1996. It's definitely one that I recognize from the X-Men cartoon. Absolutely. The Uncanny X-Men from Saturday morning. I recognize that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so she's standing there. She's giving this thing. She said she's not giving her talk, but she's saying, you know, you're all about to die and it's all about to go weird. And then halfway through her speech, it starts raining on stage. Yeah. At which, point, that, at which point I put raining on stage. Hey, up, tides in. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's it. But before that, just before that happens, it sort of cuts back to Marika and she's like, ah, no. And she's like doing the exorcist thing where she's getting, Mm. she's bouncing on the bed, but she's not bouncing. She's being risen from the bed. And all the nurses can think to do is just try and hold her in place. I'm like, maybe strap her down, maybe give her something to sedate her or something. Like, no, we're just going to let you bounce it out and you'll feel better. But that starts happening. And then the, the, the taps start, start dripping again and everybody stops and looks at the taps. And then suddenly it's the blob comes up from the pipes and sort of morphs into Eve. And she, she grabs hold of the girl. Wow, you're, and you're she, skipping she's like, right far ahead, are you? Yeah. Skipping yeah. way far ahead. Just because I don't want to talk about the old man who gets set on fire, that's why. I mean, I, I, I hate to say, you know, spontaneous combustion, but I just have. Um, but <laughs> what I've got is um, just two things before you keep on going. It's, let's all go to the hospital. Even the slime's hitching a ride for the occasion. And then I put, put, in the sewers now? You're not going to find anything down there apart from Ninja Turtles. Yep, that's true. Or the rats from um, Resident Evil. True. Yeah, I'd say more. I'd, I'd be more hopeful for Ninja Turtles, to be honest. That's it. So just to just to cover that a little bit. So um, Asuka is standing on the stage saying, you're all going to die. And like Squid says, it starts raining. But then she uses these mind powers and sets the guy on fire. And she's like, ah, etc. The explanation for it is if she can, as Eve, if she can excite the mitochondria in people's cells, the mitochondria, they use... unsaturated fatty acids Mm -hmm. in cells to either build stuff or replicate stuff. So Mm -hmm. if she can excite the acid in the cells, she can create heat. But in creating the heat, she can can create voltage. Mm -hmm. And the old man, the the old sensei from the beginning sort of stands there and he he spells it out for you. He goes, with that kind of power and those kind of voltage... It, no, it can't be true. And he's like in complete shock. She can't control that. And then the sea hair sets someone's arm on fire. And then, he, mm. then he's sort of the look of shock of, oh, she can. Oh, everyone run. While stroking his beard, you know, because that's very important. His little Japanese goatee. You know. That's it. Remember, the uh, the older gentleman is there to ask the questions and to give suggestions. Mm. He's not there to solve the, the, the thing. So, um... So the so going back to where I was with the with at the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to the hospital, Mariko's bouncing up and down. She gets agitated. The uh, the blob comes out, and it's Eve. Um, and the dad says, "Who are you? What do you want with my daughter?" Next thing you know, um, the the uh, uh, doctor uh, Nagashima and Doctor Curtains and Asakura are there uh, during her speech. Just shortly after her speech, Asakura is then no longer possessed by Eve because the blob falls out of her ear. Um, and so they rush over to the hospital. We need to get to, um, in, in the book, right? In the book, this is where everything, uh, gets, this is where everything diverges. In we'll cover the, the movie we'll first. We'll cover yeah, yeah. the movie first. Okay. Okay. So in the movie, right? They all run into the room and they're like, let her go, let her go. And this nurse goes, no, let her go, let her go. Eve turns to her, gives her a look. All these waves come out of her head. And then the nurse, it's nurse flambe is what it is. Mm. So with with what seemingly mind powers. So I've got mind powers setting people on fire. Where's Professor Xavier from X-Men when you need him? You don't need signs, guys. You need Professor X. Not just that, right? Not just that. Nurse flambe and she Morticia Adams her way out of the room. Right. <laughs> Moving very, very slowly. 
right? If I am searching for this person, I'm going to listen for the screams and run towards where they're coming from, not just run around blindly. But what do I know? I'm what, not a movie character. What I've got is floating ghost-like creature carrying someone down a hospital corridor. I can't imagine that's the strangest thing anyone's ever seen in a hospital. <laughs> I do have to say, though, uh, props to the one police officer who thinks that he can stop a fully naked woman who's carrying a, a preteen girl who's unconscious and she's just floated her way down the stairs by waving a stick at her. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you don't know unless you try, do you? So. Absolutely. So they, they decide that we need to lock the, lock the room, lock the whole hospital down. We need to stop her from getting out. So Dr. Curtains runs into a room with a security system that's right out of a 1960s film, including <laughs> flashing lights and a mechanical keyboard on one yep. screen. It's brilliant. It's awesome. Again, see the show notes. That's one, one hour, 38 minutes and 16 seconds in. I'll put a screenshot for it. Yeah. So meanwhile, um, Nagashima and Asakura are running around the building trying to find where Eve has gone. And Eve is just very slowly Morticia Adamsing her way through. I love that joke. I'm going to use it twice. Through <laughs> the through the hospital, not moving very quickly, actually moving slower than if she would if she was walking. Um, and 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 so um, Dr. Curtin starts flicking all of these switches and pushing loads of buttons and manages to close a bunch of the doors. But what I'll say to you is... Um, Eve had no trouble with setting people on fire, but a very flimsy, thin, tin door is going to somehow stop her, and it somehow stops her. I don't quite understand that. Plot. Well, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Plot. If it doesn't make sense, plot. Absolutely. So then Dr. Curtains is like, he's watching the screen. He's like, what do I do next? Where's she going to go? And he starts hearing... Doctor, doctor, come help me. Come help me, doctor. And he looks up at the the security camera and there's Eve looking right back at him. And she mouths the words, help me. And then all of a sudden he goes, and falls to the floor because it's curtains for Dr. Curtains. Well, not quite. The the machine gets uh, blown up and he gets flung back and he shreds his right hand to pieces. That's it. I must have, I must have missed the explosion. Uh, it wasn't a big explosion. It's, I don't think. it's kind of like when that happens. It's sort of like the, the the early alpha version of when Alice in Resident Evil Apocalypse looks up at the camera, and she does her magic psychic powers. That's it. And deals with security cards. So it's kind of like the alpha version of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so they need to stop Eve, right? And so they run. So uh, they 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 look at the computer screen and they notice she's working her way up to the roof. They don't know what she's going to do, but she's working her way up to the roof. So Doctor Nutbar legs it to the roof and gets to the roof. And this this moment here is where it diverges. So the reason it diverges is because the movie was written by Ryochi Kimizuka, right? It wasn't written by the author of the book. And he was told by the production company, the TV production company, we want a good ending. The book has a downer ending, um, like a lot of Japanese horror at that time. It's a very downer ending. Um, essentially, Eve gets away. Um, baby is born. I, I, I don't want to dwell on no. that. But baby is born. Eve gets away. New life form takes over the planet and wipes out humans. Right? Mm. The production company didn't want a downer ending. So they're like... So they said to him, change the story so it becomes a love story. Um, so that, you, so that all of those questions you've just been asking about is, is Kiyomi, is she, is she part of this decision? Is she, was she a willing participant? Was she even attracted 
to Dr. Nutbar, which did she actually want to get married to him? Mm-hmm. All of these times when you see her and she runs away or she comes to him and then she runs away. Like that's meant to show the, um, the, the internal conflict she has. Um, the mitochondria are dragging her to the doctor. Dr. Nutbar, but then she's able to take control again and run away. So it's like it's showing that she isn't wanting to be part of this conversation, this this whole experience. And then the ending completely destroys that. Mm. Absolutely, 110%. Well, it's, it's to a point where he's sort of stood there and he's, it, it's like he can't stop her. She's, she's going up these steps to try and you know get off the roof and what have you, and he's asking questions. And he's saying, was, was it you or is it Kiyomi? And... Eve is very, very blatantly saying, "Well, we did that. We did that. Yeah, yeah. She only we, bumped into you on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, she only bumped into you on Christmas Eve because we made her. So, you know, the good Doctor Nutbar at this point, he was duped from the start. But mm-hmm. then, because it's Hollywood movie, or it's meant to be like a good ending, what happens is he realizes that I can get through to her. She's still in there. Mm-hmm. So he just starts walking towards her, just saying, "Let me hold you." Let me hold you. He's walking towards her and she's already set his arm on fire at this point, but he just doesn't care. He's walking towards her and then he sort of embraces her and then she kind of remembers and then he has this massive grin on his face. She she drops the the teenager, the kid. Dr. Caton's seeing this at this point and so he's his assistant. So he runs up and grabs her and runs away, you know, to a safe distance. And then they sort of have a... gets the girl in the end, love saves the day ending where... She sort of she realizes it's him. He hugs her, and then they both burst into flames. Yeah, which again undermines the whole point of the mm. character arc that Kiyomi goes through. In that you are left questioning up to that scene: Was she a willing participant? Did she want to be with him? And then suddenly, oh, don't worry. There's this person that you maybe never wanted to be with. He's holding on to you, and you're going to burst into flame. Don't worry about it. Mm. Yeah, that's your ending, right? And it is very much very clearly that was the writer going right i've written the rest of the movie i've written myself into a corner because the the book ends this way um they they confront that he confronts her on the roof and he survives because in the book um he survives and he has to deal with the fact that he brought about the end of the world which is kind of what happens in ring or rather ringu which is the original Mm. book that ring is based on and spiral and loop it's a it's a continuing theme throughout like i say through throughout japanese horror novels at that time that someone brings about the end of the world and then has to deal with the fact that i brought about the end of the world Mm. unwittingly right and so because he's because the writer has written themselves the writer of the film the screenplay written themselves into the corner by following the book as much as they could and then they're like right uh um about they both die That'll do it. Mm. And then we don't have to worry about the fact that that um this this teenager is supposed to have been impregnated with the 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 next level of human evolution. We could just mm. forget that because people will be too distracted by this weird ending of this yeah. Hollywood, hey, no, we'll be together forever in the afterlife sort of thing. Um and and don't worry about it, it's fine. Mm. And that that's kind of how the ending happens. So I've got two more things before we get on to other stuff, right? The first one is that doctor's assistant is gonna need a butt ton of counselling. Absolutely. Oh yeah, the thing she's Absolutely. seen. Absolutely. And the yeah, second she, one she bursts into the last thing you see before the credits roll, she that's her bursting into tears. Right? Look at what I've just witnessed. Yeah. And the second one, these are original <laughs> I could try to do this without laughing. So, these are original lyrics to a popular song 
either at the time or just beforehand, and it's very apt for this roof scene. Now, I'm going to try and do this without laughing, so just bear with me. The roof, the roof, the roof is having an abnormal atmospheric chemical reaction. That was the original <laughs> chorus, I swear to God. I found it online and I thought, it works. So I'm not going to sing it. I just thought I'd say it out loud. I like that. The roof, the roof, the roof is having an abnormal chemical reaction. <laughs> an, not as catchy. An, an abnormal atmospheric chemical reaction. Sorry, yeah. an abnormal atmospheric chemical reaction. It's not as catchy, I have to say, Squidge. <laughs> yeah. Let's see so, where they changed it. Yeah, the roof is on fire seemed to work better. So, <laughs> so what I will say about this movie, right, <clears throat> is do not in any way, shape or form, if you're going to watch this movie and you have played the, um, the Parasite Eve games, do not go into this movie expecting it to be anything related to those. Because no. the games aren't even that related to the book, right? The setup for the first scene in the first game is related to the book. And then it all goes off the rails after that. It's kind of the... Squaresoft at the time, after, after coming off the success of Final Fantasy VII, having a lot of spare cash, and in the time of games where... You know, you were able to take risks, you know, and experiment. Squaresoft mm-hmm. decided to to get this script and say, right, how, how do we make it into an exciting game where we still have the elements of the film and the novel? Because it's kind of like the second half of the film. But put this massive, extravagant, you know, A has got to save the world type thing. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they experimented with it, but they experimented hard um, yes. and got some very strange results. But... If you, as Jay said, don't go into the film thinking it's going to be like the game because games have to be interactive, they have to be fun, they have to escalate, they have to give you levels of difficulty. This movie is for, I would say, anyone who's interested in it, but it's for people who like science because the original book was written by a chemist, so the science is almost sound, but it's more sort of pseudoscience very out there science as as it was you know back then and you know one little thing can bring the change in the end of the world type thing but if if you if you're looking for a, a science e film that's got some heavy feel, feels but some nutty stuff towards the end this is definitely for you i think otherwise just give it a pass <laughs> Congratulations, boys. The movie was 2 hours and 10 minutes. Your review was 1 hour 16 minutes and 58 seconds. No sense for you today. I, I mean, I don't even think we can do our ratings on this because it's not its not a movie based on a game, is it? No, that's true. That's true. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's a weird one. Yeah. It really is a weird one. But yeah, don't go into it expecting it to be anything related to the, to the, to the, to the video games because it isn't. This this is a this is a, a science heavy film, whereas the games it's the science has happened. Aya doesn't know why she hasn't burst into flames because of someone manipulating mitochondria, and mm-hmm. now let's turn it into a police investigation story. That's the, that's that's all. That's the first two games, and the third one's more um, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly stuff. Absolutely, it, it really is. Um, so. So what, so what I'll say to you, Switch, is 
let's just talk about the movie. Would you recommend the movie to, if somebody says to you, hey, I've got two hours to kill and I want to watch something with a bit of science and a pretend naked lady in it, would you recommend this film to them? My only question at that point is, do you mind a good dollop of the feels? Yes. Because it does have a good dollop. If if they say they don't mind it, I'd say Parasite Eve is a giggle. Mm -hmm. Apart from the beginning part, obviously it sets up the story because you need that. I said Mm -hmm. after that, it gets very sort of... I mean, surprisingly, at no point is like the the Dr. Nutbar when he's going a bit insane and you know trying to culture these things and do these mm-hmm. things and no point is it campy i thought it was going to be campy with it yeah the, like um, overly i'm maniacal here's my hair being scruffed up and i've got red eye irises and i've got this lab coat on and oh, there's t- explosions and you know rough stubble it isn't it's just him trying to deal with it and getting suckered into doing this i thought it'd be campy but it wasn't it as, as nuts as the idea of the film is, it still maintains that seriousness through it, which is mm-hmm. weird because it's very hard to find films that do that, especially nowadays. Yeah, definitely. It's um, like it's like the films portraying this fantastical idea of a part of human cells gaining sentience and they're going to evolve stuff, mm-hmm. you know, which is a fantastical story, but it manages to pull it off the film manages to pull it off while keeping a straight face. Mm-hmm. If I mean, if you imagine trying to explain some of the less outlandish parts of the story to someone else, they're just going to stand there, look at you weird, and start giggling. Because that's what will happen. It, it, for somehow it manages to keep a straight face. And that just... That, that and The Ring. The Ring manages to do the same as well. Mm. It keeps a straight face. Kind of. I... I will agree to disagree. Having read the book that Ring is based on, I'm, I'm um, talking about like the movie, oh, one no, of, of course, the of course. the the first no, movie no, adaptations. But, you know. So, so what I'm saying there is, having read the book that the first Ring movie is based on, the movie that came out a year after this, uh, after Parasite Eve. Having read the book, the movie is nonsensical. They make huge, huge leaps of logic that they don't explain how or why. And you just go along with it because you're there for the scares. And um, and I genuinely feel like if somebody came to me and said, should I watch Parasite Eve? Right. I would say if you're willing to if you're willing to watch Parasite Eve, which is two hours and 10 minutes long, um, then I would say go read the book first. It will only take you twice that time to read the book and you will understand the characters much better. Mm. You'll understand the motivations and you'll understand things like why Asakura sticks her fingers into the goop and, and all those kinds of things. You will understand the story that is being told so much better than you would if you watched the movie because you watch the movie, then you read the book and everything then immediately mm. makes sense. Right. If someone said to me, would I recommend it? I would say yes, because it's, it's something that sparked off a game that I really like mm. and, you know, and a lineage of stuff. But if someone said to me, um, give me an example of a very, very Japanese 90s film, I would say, are you after sci-fi? And if they said yes, I'd say I watch Parasite Eve because it is a product of its time. Oh, but, also, but also it's a very good example of... Um, quite good storytelling is it's a good example of how far you can stretch a budget 
for a film. Oh, definitely. And it's uh-huh. also a good example of how something can be dated and yet still seem plausible, especially mm-hmm. now, like what, 23, 24 years afterwards? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Um, definitely give it a try. Definitely mm. give it a try, but don't if, expect if you don't it to mind be anything. <laughs> yeah, give it a try, but don't expect it to be anything related to the actual game because it isn't. I mean, it is. It's, it has the same setup, but it doesn't have the same ending, which means that it doesn't actually exist in the same universe. It's really, it's really, it's a strange one because, like I said, there's these three parts of this one story that all go off in different directions. And technically, technically. The Ring movie did this exactly the same. Um, the 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 story behind, like the story in the book, is just real quick. Let's just talk about the Ring real quick because I yeah. keep bringing it up. Right in the original, in the original, in the movie Ringu from nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety eight, whenever it came out, the end of the movie is very. It, it's quick. I'm going to take the kid and the videotape to my parents' house. The parents can watch the videotape. It'll save the kid's life. <laughs> that similar thing happens, except that. The person who's telling the story is a is a newspaper journalist, mm. and everything they do is hyper described. Yeah. It's described right the way down to like the smell of the paper and the amount of time that they spend, um, cr- like the 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 feel of the crunch of the uh, gravel underfoot. Everything is so well described. So the devil's because, in the details, or the rings in the details, you know. Yeah, because right at the end of the book. Um, the writer postulates that, but if if I could describe the videotape in as much detail, that you wouldn't need to watch the videotape. So the videotape that I described earlier on watching, that you read, as a reader, you've read my description of the videotape, so you don't have to watch the videotape. So because you've read the book... You'll be dead in seven days too. So it adds this extra layer to it. Yeah. And later on in the in the series of books that are based off of that, I mean it goes off the it goes off the deep end very quickly. But um <laughs> of course it does. Later on in the series of books, it talks about how um the like the Sadako creature, this 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 evil malevolent spirit, has created books, video games. Um, infiltrated popular culture has has um, you know in, in all the areas of, of popular culture infiltrated them. So then everybody gets the virus, and then they they, they turned that around and went full circle with it because um, to advertise Sadako versus Kayako 3D, which was the ring versus Jew on the Grudge, mm. they actually had someone dressed as Sadako throwing the first pitch of a baseball game. infiltrating popular culture (laughs) which is really quite cool it kind of meta um but yeah i i would that being said right definitely if you're interested in giving parasite if you've played the game Mm. and you're like i want to know where the story came from go read the book if you played the game and you want to waste two hours watching a movie that is really well made, yeah, because it was made in eight weeks with a budget of nine hundred thousand mm. dollars, and unfortunately it never made that budget back, mm. so it didn't do that well. By all means, go watch the movie, but do not expect it to be anything related to the game you've just played. No, that's what I will say. It's anything but an action romp. <laughs> absolutely, it absolutely it is very science. 
in my fiction. Hmm. That's why the article that I wrote for the for the Waffling Tellers website is um, Parasite Eve. You've got science in my fiction because it is very much. It was very much that. So anyway. All of that being said, um, mm. both Squidge and I are saying definitely try it, but don't walk yeah. into it thinking it's going to be anything related to the to the game. Um, definitely, if you're catching us for the first time, um, we have definitely we've come in at least twenty minutes less than the runtime of the movie. Hey. And we've effectively described the entire movie, um, and most of are, Ring as well. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the the Ring series of books. I think there's five in total. Mm. Um, but if you are if you liked this, definitely uh, give us a I don't know, go and subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is free, right? Mm. The the problem is that they use the word subscribe and people think, oh, I've got to pay. But it's like it's like YouTube. You don't have to pay for anything, right? Except you don't need a YouTube account to subscribe to podcasts mm. unless you're watching on YouTube. But anyway, um, yeah. Get, definitely give us a subscribe. Head over to wafflingtailors.rocks to find out more about the show. In your podcatcher, um, press on the, the, there'll be a link that says, check the full show notes. Click that to find out loads more about what we've written about the, the movie. Um, there will be a link to the blog post I wrote about the book. Um, definitely check that out. Um, Squidge, any other things that folks should check out? Not that I can think of. All right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> in that case, check us out on Twitter and Facebook because we're on there as Waffling Taylors. Um, and I genuinely hope that you all have a wonderful day, whatever it is you're doing. Made it under the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So as I do in every single episode, and I love doing it, what I'll say to you all is see you later, folks, and see you later, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. See you later, Squidgy. Hello, Squidgy. See you later, Squidgy. Bye. Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Dagay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.